Many of you are aware that Stephanie and I have uh, been moving homes in town over the last week. It's been quite a job. Please remind me to never do this again, okay? Just, just tell me. But, but one of the things I do like about moving is, is I collect memorabilia. Uh, I never throw a, a nice note away, a nice email. If you've ever done that, it's in some box somewhere. But, but one of the things I ran across over this week that, that means so much to me is this quilt. Uh, my first job, I was the youth minister of the Northport Church in, outside of Tuscaloosa. And um, when I left, uh, the ladies made me this beautiful quilt, and it's, it's pretty frayed right now. But what was really cool is, as they finished making it, they all wrote their names uh, around the edge, and it brought back some great memories. I mean, here is uh, Shelby Reese. Uh, Shelby and her husband, Hoover, were the deacons over, or he was the deacon over youth ministry, and they were great people. My first encounter with Shelby Reese was in the teacher's workroom. I was the new youth minister. I thought, I need to learn how to drive the bus. So I said, can I learn how to drive the bus? And she said to me, you will never drive the bus. And I was first sort of offended. And then she said, you will never drive the bus. Hoover will drive the bus and you will spend time with teenagers. I thought, okay, that's a good deal. And then there's a Patsy Sims around here. Uh, Patsy's husband, Milton, was the... um, the song director, that's what you call him. He was the song director at church. And they were quite a character. They had two sons in the youth group, Clark and Bert. And I probably ate supper at their house at least twice a week. We'd go in the backyard and play basketball. And then we'd go inside and eat. And it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of elbows thrown on the basketball court. There were actually a lot of elbows thrown around the table. I mean, these guys would fight over the food. It was just absolutely crazy. If you saw them, you'd understand why. But that was, that, that was the Sims. And, and then, if I go around, uh, quite a character here is Douglas Ligon. Douglas lived in a house outside of Northport. Uh, she's um, sort of a country girl. Uh, one day, she just told me at church, she said, Buddy, I need you to come to my house Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. And so I, I walked into her house. And, and when I got there, there were 20 old ladies from the church. I was the only man there. And so I look around like, what is going on? And she just breaks out in tears. I just wanted you here. I just wanted you to be a part of this. Which was better than my other encounter at Douglas Ligon's house. I'd gone over there for, de- for lunch one Sunday. And uh, before lunch, I went back to the kitchen. And I asked her, I said, could I help you with anything? And she said, no, 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 you don't want to do that. The last person who came back in my kitchen, I took a knife after so, so Douglas was quite, quite the character that you had to be a little careful for. And then there's Margaret Milligan. Uh, she was a sweetheart. Her husband, Harvey, had been an elder of that church for years and years. Just a gentle Christian man. You just loved him. And on top of that, she cooked the best fried chicken you've ever had. She was amazing. And so doing this was really exciting for me. And um, it brings me to the chapter that we're going to study today because Paul's doing the same thing. Paul is about to move from Corinth, he's almost my same age, to start a new ministry in Italy. And so he's writing this book and he's finishing in Romans 16. Now, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there, get your phone out. You're going to want to be there for this chapter. Now, I want to warn you a little bit. At first glance, this chapter is going to look like a chapter you want to skip, okay? With all those names. 
So at first glance, it looks like a boring list at the end of a powerful book. I remember when I was going into preaching, someone gave me this advice. When you preach from a biblical text, avoid the list. They are deadly. You ever had to read the list in front of people? Pronounce all those words? Well, you can see me try to do it in just a moment. But here's what I want you to see. At second glance, this is an amazing chapter. In fact, it's an inspiring example to close out a powerful book. In fact, it's the perfect chapter, I believe, to close out this series on building up. So let's go back and remember our blocks. Parker Davis is going to help me. Parker, if you'd come up here and grab the D for me, let's start remembering what we've been learning. So, someone help me out. What does the D stand for? Decide, okay? If you're going to be a great builder of people, if you're going to be a great encourager, you need to decide to obey God in that. Give me the L, Parker. The L is about look and listen. I love that John Wooden quote. You need to catch people doing the right thing. The I is include. Dan did a great job last week talking about how when we work together, we feel more included in the work of this church. Now this week, we get to the two most important blocks that are on the top. The U is uplifting words. If you're going to be a great encourager, you just got to start saying uplifting words. And on top of all of this, the key to it is you just got to be positive. Hey, give Parker a hand while he goes back to his seat. You you see, we've got to learn to see the best in people. I'll never forget, uh, while I preached at the Gateway Church in Pensacola, there, there was one guy there that was just extremely negative. His name was Larry. And he had been in that church forever. Now, in Pensacola, it was different than Montgomery. You know, if you got upset with things at your church in Pensacola, you just never left. You just stayed and upset. In Montgomery, you leave the next Sunday, right? Okay? So, so there, they just they hung out. And I, I couldn't, he hadn't liked anything that went on that church in decades. And so finally, one Sunday morning, I got my courage up. I saw him in the foyer. I knew he was probably griping about something. So I said, Larry, can I talk to you a minute? I said, I'm not trying to be ugly, but I just don't understand why you stay in this church. You don't like anything that goes on. I'll never forget his answer. He said, buddy, you know about a battery. Every battery has a positive and negative post. And every church needs a positive and negative post. And I am the negative post in this church. Never have truer words ever been said, all right? But let me tell you. What Scripture teaches is we don't need any negative post. And that's what I love about Paul. Paul is someone who is a great minister and a great encourager. And so let's get to Romans 16, and let's read through it. And I'm sure you can judge me on how I say the words, all right? Romans 16, verse 1. Paul finishes this great book. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church... At Centrea, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she's been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, thank you for that word, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, 
my fellow Jews who had been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Amphilitus, my dear friend of the Lord, and Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Also, greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. And greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa. Many people think those were twin girls. Those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who's worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord and his mother, I love this, who has been a mother to me. Greet Asyncritus and Philigan and Hermes and Patrobosus and Hermas and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus and Julia and Neresus, his sister, and Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with the holy kiss. You can tell this is pre-COVID days. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions, who put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they uh, deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone who has heard about your obedience... So I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. I love the last verse in this section. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your face, under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. What an incredible chapter. And Paul displays for us everything that we've been learning these last weeks. And so I want to write down what it takes to be a great builder. And some of these may, may seem very obvious, but don't pass them away lightly. They're very important. Number one, Paul focused on people. Now, what's so surprising about this to me is that Paul is an amazing theologian. He's proven it in this book. Some people would say the book of Romans is the greatest book ever written because it explains our salvation and our assurance in Christ. So he's a great theologian. And you know, a lot of people that are great theologians are not necessarily good people people. But Paul is. In fact, often you go to some of our our Christian universities, and I've even had them confess to me that they are really good at training theologians, but they're not always that good at training ministers because there was a difference. Paul did not have that difference. He focused on people, all kinds of people. He talks about two families. He talks about a brother and sister. He talks about a son and his mother, a single man, a single woman, slaves, two or three house churches. I mean, he just talks about a lot of people. In fact, in this chapter, he's going to mention 28 people. Now, understand this. This is a really important point for us. To build a great church, we must build people. You see, here's what scares me. And I can be guilty of this myself. We're always looking for this magic bullet, this magic pill, this magic plan. We're going to read, I do it, we're going to read the latest church growth books. And I'm not saying there's not good things to get from that. There are. 
But often we're looking for something magical when the answer is right in front of us. It's actually loving people. Jesus himself said, by this people are going to be drawn to me. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Paul is proof of that. Paul loved people. That's how you build a church. Number two, Paul remembered names. How many of us, does that make you feel a little guilty? I mean, it's amazing. Dale Carnegie said years ago, he says, a person's name is to that person the most important sound in any language. Don't you love it when you've met someone a month ago and the next time you run into them, they remember your name? If your name was Buddy, you'd have an advantage. But when they remember your name, it's a really big deal. And Paul, man, 28 names in one chapter. I love this professor at a nursing school, and she was given a pop quiz. And on the final question, she threw this in. What is the name of the woman who cleans this building? Now, one of the straight-A students thought this had to be a joke. And so she just left that blank. She thought, Why, what does this have to do with me being a nurse? And so when the test was over, she raised her hand and asked, Are you really going to count that last question? That was not in the textbook. You never went over in class. Are you going to count it? And the professor said this. Oh, absolutely. In your careers, you're going to meet many people. All are significant. And they deserve your attention and care. That student later said, I will never, ever forget the lesson I learned that day. Also, I learned that the cleaning lady's name was Dorothy. Guys, remember names is a big deal. And, and this is important. Number three, Paul noticed the positive. Because let, let's be really honest at this point. If you look close enough in my life, you're going to see some negative. I mean, there isn't in every one of our lives. None of us are perfect. So I've got a choice of what I focus on. In fact, the other day, I had a, a friend that gave me some pretty harsh, I thought, criticism. And uh, I really felt defensive. I was actually sort of mad about it. And then I got home and I started thinking, if that's the biggest criticism he's got of me, he doesn't really know me. Because there's so much more better material if he knew me better. And so I don't really need to worry about that. Because, you know what, we've all got negative. And, and every person that Paul mentions in this chapter has got some negative things about themselves. Yet Paul chooses primarily to focus on the positive. In, in fact, just, just think about some of the people he encouraged. I love Phoebe. Phoebe, he says, was a deacon of the church. I'll just be blunt with you right now. I believe the early church had deacons and deaconesses. I think it's very obvious in Scripture. Some might say, well, this word just means servant. Well, I think there's an official thing when he says she's a deacon of the church. So Phoebe was a, a big deal and also must have been a wealthy lady who helped Paul in his ministry. Priscilla and Aquila were his co-workers. Priscilla and Aquila are the people who took Apollos to the side and taught him the gospel fully. And Paul says, these guys even risked their lives for me. And then you got Epictetus, who was Paul's first convert in Asia Minor. Can you imagine? His first person. I would think he baptized. And now he's moved to Rome. And then you got Adronicus and Julia. And he, what a compliment they get. Outstanding among the apostles. 
Now, some might take this to mean they were apostles. I think what he's saying here is these guys have been done such great work for God, they have been taken note of by the apostles themselves. And then here's the coolest of all. This, this guy, Rufus, did you re- recognize this? He is the son of Simon of Cyrene. Anybody tell me who Simon of Cyrene was? He was the guy that carried the cross when Jesus stumbled. On Mark chapter 15, we know that he had two sons, Rufus and Alex. This is so awesome. Something must have happened to Rufus when he watched Jesus on that cross. Enough for him to come to Christ and to teach his sons to follow Jesus. In fact, Paul says even their mother was like a mother to him. So Paul is very specific in these things he says. Now, the most specific compliment he gives in this chapter, and he says it over and over, these people were hard workers. This guy was a hard worker. This girl was a hard worker. Let me me tell you this. Paul's not commending pew sitters. Paul's commending people that are engaged in the work of God, and he knows their names, and he says it. He notices that. And then number four, Paul expresses it. He expressed thanksgiving. I mean, here's the key I found in this series. Most of us feel positive things toward people, but many of us don't ever say it. That's what I found to our whole back. I mean, have you ever had someone come up and give you a compliment? I can remember someone just a few years ago, and I went home and said, Stephanie, I... This guy said the nicest thing to me, and I actually thought he never liked me. You ever experienced that? Or, or maybe you gave the compliment, and they go, man, you know, I, I didn't think you liked me. Well, well, that's because we're not like Paul sometimes when you're just willing to use those uplifting words and to build people up in a big way. Paul was willing to do that. So listen, listen to me. Here's our challenge. It's not enough to just think it. We must come to the point we say it, or like Paul does here, we write it. Now, let's add a little balance to this real quickly. Number five, Paul corrected people, okay? Someone asked me the other day, buddy, is all we're ever supposed to do is just encourage and just build up? Do we never? No, no, no. I I think encouragement is primary, but the Bible uses lots of different words. Correct. Admonish, warn, here's, here's a really strong word we don't use, rebuke. There is a place for all of those things. In fact, in this chapter, he says there are some false teachers that are weaseling their way in, and they're dividing the church. And, and Paul says, with these people, you need to mark them. You need to let it publicly be known that they're dangerous. Only time I've ever seen that. It was my first two months here at Landmark when the elders of this church stood up and marked a man for being divisive. And Paul says you do that. So do not take what I'm saying in this series is that you never come to that point. But please understand what I am trying to say. You want to give a lot of encouragement before you ever get to that point. You see, if the first thing you ever say to me is, buddy, what you did the other day, that just did not represent Jesus very well. If that's the first thing you ever said to me, I will probably be defensive, unfortunately. 
But if you've given me a lot of encouragement and you've been a good friend and you notice something in me that is not of Christ and you say, hey, buddy, what you did the other day, man, I just a little bit out of line. I'm going to take it well. So there is a place for correction and rebuke, but I think that's a small percentage. The big percentage is that we build a place where people are built up. Now, I want you to notice this. The people Paul wants to correct are the people who are actually tearing down. Okay? The folks the church needs to be strong with are the gossips, the negative, the slanderers, the backbiters. I mean, I'm telling you guys, it can make a mess. And so Paul says you've got to be strong with certain people that way. So let's get practical here. How do we become great builders like, like Paul? Let me start off with a strong statement, but not too strong for this message. I must repent of my negativity. I, I do not think we have, I, I do think we have underrated the damage of negative people in any organization. It may be where you work. It may be the school you go to. It might be the team you play on. It might be church. But when you are surrounded with negativity, it rubs off on everybody. And yet it's so easy. We live in a culture that basically focuses on picking out the missteps of people. We would not have half the TV networks we have if left there was a press, a place for that. Now, I love that there was a rabbi who wrote a book that called Words That Hurt and Words That Help. And the book was so well received that he started doing seminars around the country. And at the end of each seminar, he would ask them this question. It was a challenge. Can you go 24 hours without saying one unkind word about or to another person? Woo, think about that. Can you go 24 hours without saying one unkind word to or even behind their back about someone else? Well, what about you? That's a challenge. And the good rabbi found out that most people would not even try. And so here's what he called them. Buckle your seatbelt a minute. He called them negative addicts. And boy, he makes a great point. If you had a friend who told you they could not go without a drop of alcohol for 24 hours, if you had a friend who told you they could not go without drugs for 24 hours, if you had someone in your life who would admit they could not go 24 hours without looking at pornography, you would have no problem at all saying that they were addicts. And my friend, I think some of us need to, to see this. I know I do. We can become addicted to scrutinizing and to negative talk. And guys, here's what you got to understand. you got to understand the damage. There's all kinds of studies out there about how many positives do you need to make up for one negative. I've seen everything from four positives to one negative to 50 to one. I, I tend to go on the 50 to one. At the close of this message, you know, you know, 40 of you tell me, buddy, thank you for what you did. I've appreciated this. This has helped me out. And one of you say, are you okay today? <laughs> I mean, you seem off today. And that was really, what am I going to go home and remember? It's the one. Because all it takes, guys, is that one comment, you know, to just sort of knock everything down. 
And so that's why we've got to repent of this negativity. Now, how do we rebuild something that will stand? Now, here's the exciting point. I must see the victory. Let me go back to Romans 16 real quick. I think the coolest verse in this chapter, you, you might miss it if you're not careful, is verse 20. I've never noticed it. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, guys, the people in Rome are just like us. They're going through tough times. They're living in a negative culture where it's easy to be negative. But Paul reminds them of the most positive thing they'll ever hear. That not only has Jesus reigned Satan in, not only has he won that victory on the cross, but there is a moment just around the corner where he will crush Satan. And you see, guys, that's the way we put some cement between these blocks. Because here, what I've got to do is I've got to decide. I've got to look and listen. I've got to be good at including people. I've got to use a lot of uplifting words. And I need to find a way in this crazy world we live in to actually be positive. How can you do that when everybody else around you is sort of negative? I'm telling you how you do it. You receive this from Christ first. Jesus encourages you. He builds you up. He puts a cement between these blocks. So I'd love you to encourage me, and that would definitely help my day. But I don't have to wait on you encouraging me for me to encourage you. Because I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm securing him. Now, there's a beautiful term in this chapter. He says, the churches of Christ salute you. Now, listen, be very plain on this. He's not using that word as a denominational title. He's not saying church of Christ the way we do in a sectarian way. That's, that's not the way he uses it. He's simply given a beautiful description. We are a people who belong to Jesus Christ. We are the church of Christ. We are like Christ. And that's how we begin to put cement between these blocks so that we can constantly give encouragement. And that brings me to one more thing. I must express thanksgiving. Just like Paul, there's got to be a point where I just say it. Now, I'm so excited, and this is God's timing, about this message series ending today. Because there could not be a better week to live this out than Thanksgiving. And my challenge for you and to me is for us to use this week, first of all, just to thank God. And we'll do that in just a moment but also to thank the people in our lives who have blessed us in so many ways, the people who are hard workers in the Lord. And let me add this, our family members, and I don't know about you, but sometimes family is the hardest people to say it to. I don't know why, but just to say it. I love what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Look at this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Look at that. And, and this week, my challenge for you is to fill in that blank. Who's the person, while you're praying, while you're thinking about them, you think these great thoughts? That's what Paul was doing with this church at Philippi. He said, I want you guys to know, I, I love Paul. He doesn't mind pouring it on. He doesn't mind using a lot of uplifting words. He says to these people he loves, every single time I think about you, I get on my knees and thank God for you. 
Who's those people for you? So we've got two challenges. One probably the most difficult. Next 24 hours, don't say to or about anybody anything negative, okay? Now, about 11.20 tomorrow, you can let it out, all right? But, 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 but for the next 24 hours, let's see how we can do on that, okay? And I think we're going to find out why we needed this series. And then this week, you think of these people that you want to encourage because here is the deal. The deal is we don't want this to be just another message series. We want this to be a lifestyle. What would happen in this body, this family, this church of Christ, if we became the people who said, man, we're just going to build each other up. We're not going to hold back. We're going to say it. If there's that need for correction, we'll give that too. But we're going to start there. Now, let me tell you guys, you got to start. Because every person I mentioned on my quilt has passed away. These kids poured into a 19-year-old, these people poured into a 19-year-old kid like he never deserved. And I wish to God I could call them, write them, text them today, and tell them what it meant. And so I'm saying to you today, those people that belong on your quilt, you say it. You just say it. Let's prepare for communion. Communion's an easy step this Sunday because communion's simply about saying thank you. There's actually a, a word for communion we don't use much. It's the Eucharist, and that simply means thanksgiving. And guys, that is so important because I, I've had a misconception of communion much of my life. There was a time I thought communion is this sad moment where I think about how much Jesus did for me and how wonderful he was and how guilty I am. Sort of makes sense, actually. But that's not communion. Communion is not the place to say, I'm sorry. That's not its goal. Communion is like your Thanksgiving table. It's the table of celebration. It's not the place to say, I'm sorry. It's the place to say, thank you. It's not the place to feel guilty. It's the place to celebrate. So, next couple moments. Just spend some time telling God thank you. This week, this Sunday, the beginning of the Thanksgiving week, let's give thanks to the one who's given us every good and precious gift that we have. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we, we just thank you for your love for us, God. We thank you, Father, that you have poured your love on us when we didn't deserve it, that you have encouraged us. Then your Bible, you call us names like redeemed and adopted and chosen that we often don't feel like we deserve. But Lord, you have poured that into us. Lord, you have built us up. If we're just listening, if Father, we confess that we're deficient at times of doing that for other people. 
And Father, I, I do pray right now a prayer of repentance for all of us, for the, the negativity that can overrun our lives. And we know to be positive with people is going to be absolutely countercultural. And again, the key to building your church, Father, is for it to be this place where people can get what they can't get in the world. And Lord, we can do this because of this moment that we celebrate. This moment when we are overwhelmed by your love. We are overwhelmed that when you look at us through the blood of Jesus, you see perfection. And Lord, there's not a lot we can say except thank you. Help us to do that right now. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.